You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Footy Fest is over. We've got a few days to catch our breath before the next round of footy uh, returns on a Friday night. Jake Michaels, welcome to you. Thank you very much. Jack Nunes, your new favourite player? Uh, I always has been. He went to, he was a Marcelin boy with me. Uh, I played with him in junior footy for a couple of years and uh, he he was a blue bagger as a kid as well. So he would have been very happy with his kick after the siren to win it for the blues. Neil Seawang, what did you make of that kick? Yeah, I was just going to ask, can I, we've got three Carlton supporters on this podcast aside from me. What, how confident were you when he was lining up after the siren? Did anybody think that he's going to put it through? I was pretty confident, but I wasn't like, I I mean, I, he, I think it was the fact he looked confident. I, I, I wasn't thinking, oh, he's going to kick it. But I thought, yeah, he looks like he knows that he can kick it. Uh, and obviously, you know, he shouldn't have taken the kick, as, as we've sort of seen. But, you know, it was pretty clear he wanted to take it. He's got a good record in front of the big sticks. And as soon as he kicked it, though, you're like, that's going through. <laughs> I thought yeah. he made a distance. Uh, the accuracy was going to be the question. But he is a good kick. I think it's going to end up being a bit like Wayne Harms, how, how he's now about two metres over the boundary line by the time he taps it back to Ken Sheldon in the square. It's going to be, Nunes was about 50 metres away from that ball when it went out of bounds in, uh, in 10, 20 years, and he still managed to take the kick. So it's going to be those ones that live in Carlton folklore, that's for sure. Christian, did you think that he was a chance? No, never. <laughs> never thought he was a chance. But, uh... I thought I was a pessimistic Carlton supporter of mine. <laughs> I looked it up after Robbie Gray kicked it after the side against us. And I remember um, Ben Dixon did it to us in the late 90s. And I just thought, I've never seen Carlton do that. So, poor me. I looked it up and Stephen Kernahan did it the final round of 87 uh, when I was five, which I don't remember. Apparently, that was one of the greatest rounds of football ever in 1987 for final spots and things like that. But, uh, yeah, to finally witness a goal after the siren for Carlton to win. It's the second one in my lifetime. And uh, glad I was working on that game. If you haven't done so already, I highly recommend searching for reaction videos on, uh, on Twitter or in social media because there are some absolute beauties out there. Um, as I said, though, we do have a bit of time to breathe, three nights to reset, recompose before uh, round 13 kicks off. Uh, but always, as always, there's heaps to talk about uh, from the weekend just gone. But before we get into the real stuff, guys, something that caught your attention from the weekend that might have otherwise been missed. Neil, I might start with you on this. I don't know if it had been missed, but I think it's almost been forgotten because it was played on Thursday night. But um, just how poor the Giants were and how excellent the Swans were, I think we all assumed that that was going to be a, an easy kill for the Giants and get them back on track to definitely play finals, if not push to the top four. And they were just dispirited, disorganised. Um, you'd be really worried if you were in the Giants' camp or a Giants supporter. And conversely, you'd be, you'd be thrilled with the, the Swans' performance, the fact that they're still pretty decimated by injury and the young kids are starring. So um, we, we often forget, you know, a couple of days later what happened, um, you know, previously. But yeah, it, was, mm. it stuck with me all around, the, the contrasting fortunes of those two clubs. Well, we might touch on, on them and specifically their coach a bit later on, uh, Neil. Christian Jolly, champion data. We should probably actually introduce you properly, but uh, something that caught your attention from the weekend. Um, mine was, yeah, sort of a bit more personal, but I, yeah, probably a couple of weeks ago I thought the top eight was set. Um, didn't see it changing too much. A couple of results this weekend, Melbourne Collingwood, namely. I know Collingwood's injuries, which again, we probably might touch on soon. But yeah, uh, exciting with yeah, footy fest, footy every night at least. I, I still think the, the ladder's live. I think there's 10, 10 teams for me, maybe 11. Um, finding it out for the eight. Obviously, I think three or four are set at the top there. Uh, but yeah, good that, you know, 
coming down to a final four or five rounds that, yeah, anything can happen with finals. So still plenty to play for. It's kind of weird that there is only sort of six weeks to go. I mean, you kind of think you, it's almost, sort of, you know, around 13, halfway through the year-ish, but um, the end's coming up really quickly. So uh, I know it's cliche, but every win is vital at this point of the season, Jake Michaels. Oh, it is. Uh, something that caught my eye, going back to the Nunes kick, was um, the photographer. How was he doing? Like, seriously, I mean, he must have, have a Frio membership. Seriously, like, get out of the way, mate. Um, refused to get out of the way. Then he had to he had to pick up the security guard's chair. But did you see the security guard trip over the chair as he threw it behind him? And then he's throwing the cords. So look, he's done uh, without banging on it, banging on him uh, too much. He's done a pretty good job to to remove all those obstacles and go back and slow. It was just a the whole sort of process from the the the. the kick out of bounds to the free kick downfield. Honestly, you can almost make a documentary about that because it was just such a bizarre series of events that was squashed into about one minute of game time. Well, yeah. I mean, it was really only about 15 seconds of game time from when uh, I think it was Walters kicked it out um, to, the, to the boundary. Um, that 15, Taken over by Tanner. Yeah, that last 15 seconds had to be, has to be one of the most remarkable 15 seconds of play I can ever recall. Yeah, truly bizarre. Not to mention some pretty poor umpiring, and I'm, and I'm a cult supporter. <laughs> Swings and roundabouts, Jake. That's yeah. it, you've got to take them when they come. Uh, something that caught my eye, you mentioned it, Neil, but it was Thursday night, so it was a bit of a long time ago. But I know that a lot of uh, clubs have had to sort of furlough a lot of staff, recruiters, scouts, the lot. But it seems like the Blues had a presence at the Sydney GWS game with a few fans in the crowd who had the blue Papley crew sign behind the goals, trying to get Tom Papley across the line at the Blues. Was that you? You've been wanting to get Papley for about three years, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I have not done my quarantine in WA, so it certainly wasn't me. But uh, good on those men, because at, at the moment, we know that clubs are on, uh, on bare-bones staff, so they're, they're pitching in and helping, which is good to see. Um, You're going to be paying a bit more from this year, unfortunately, Matt. Sorry, what's that? You're going to be paying for Papley. You're going to be paying through your, through yeah. the teeth this year now. He's he's hot property. He might just want to take his foot off the pedal the last few weeks, uh, Tommy. If that's all right, thanks, mate. Um, let's get into the real stuff. We've got plenty to discuss. As I said off the top, uh, Ask Champion Data is back. We've got some really good questions that that came in throughout the week, and uh, as we've said in the past, we'll try and get to those as we go because you guys are asking some really really good questions. But um, one question that caught our eye from Daniel Maserati was a really good one on score involvement. So we're going to do a bit of a deep dive on that, Christian, if you're comfortable. Um, his question, well, he actually had three questions, so he's, uh, he's snuck a few in there. But the, the first question that he got was, what is the average number of score involvements per score across the league? And does this vary much from club to club? And I just want you to sort of take us on a journey of score involvements. Uh, first of all, I guess, explain what they are and what, uh, what one is. Uh, and then maybe we can answer these questions as they come in. Yeah, so score involvement is basically it's. So we'll start with the you know the start of it all is a chain from a scoring chain. So it's an unbroken chain from possession to possession that doesn't get broken by either a stoppage or the opposition taking possession of the ball. So uh, think of a start of the game. You can take it out of the center, kick it forward, can be spoiled to ground level. Um, you know, pack form. Someone breaks out, gets it out of the pack, handballs to another teammate. They kick a goal everyone that was involved in that chain will get a score involvement because it was an unbroken chain. Yes, there was a spoil by the opposition, but that's, that doesn't break your chain because there's no opposition possession. Uh, so, just, so, so just the question on that, I think I know the answer, but if you're chipping the ball around in your back line and then you go forward and you've had, you've had possession for 60 seconds and 
and a goal's kicked, you'll still get, if you're in defence and you've chipped the ball around, you're still getting a score involvement. Correct, yeah. So, yeah, an unbroken chain. So, uh, again, so um, depending on, you know, the, the, where the chain's coming from and the length of the chain, so defensive 50 chain exactly would be, you know, an average of five or six disposals or chain involvements. Um, so that includes, you know, hit out to advantage uh, to start that off if it's starting from a stoppage. Uh, so a ruckman that hits it straight down a teammate's throat, 25 handballs from the back line to forward line, they kick a goal. Every single one of those players that's had a handball will get a score involvement. So, uh, sorry, Matt, can't remember if you asked the second part of the question, but I don't know what's coming. So if you do sort of get two involvements in that one chain, so, you know, the, the old one too, um, we do record both of those, but the, the one that you always hear in the media and the one that we refer to as score involvements is just the one. So how many score scoring chains were you involved in? So if you had three handballs in that chain, you only get the one score involvement, uh, which is basically what we call a unique score involvement. Um, so a normal score involvement, again, we do count how many of those happen, and, but they're not big. So just looking at this year, the leader for that which surprised me this morning when I looked it up is Cam Guthrie. So he's had... Uh, 50 scoring chain involvements this year, hmm. 63 chain involvements in those. So usually would be handballs or possessions. So, um, so he's third, doubled up 13 times. Yeah, yeah, for a difference of 13. So he's the most. Second is Jaden Short, another surprise for me. Um, sort of coming out of the back line, you, you think a lot of the times he's launching the ball for Richmond scoring chains, but he is um, one to sort of you know chip it sideways out to the um, halfback flank, run again, get it in the corridor and deliver again. Uh, and then, you know, third is Lockie Neal. So probably the, you know, one of the first guys, Tom Mitchell, um, isn't so much up there, but he would have been up there in previous years. The guys that do get a lot of sort of flipping it around out of the stoppage and get involved in uh, multiple times in a chain. So again, yes, we sort of recall both numbers, but the number that's always pushed out there and that's always referred to score involvements is just how many scoring chains we were involved in. Um, so what the, the initial question, like, the average number of score involvements uh, per score across the league. Did you say that? I, I might have missed that. No, well, uh, yeah, I haven't looked at, well, as, as I said, there's so many variables in terms of d depending on where you're starting and things. So right. I looked at right. per player though, 2.4 score involvements is about, most players are involved in 2.4 scores per game. So that's across all positions. But again, taking into account, um, you know, teams that score a lot of times versus teams that aren't scoring many times and things like that. So, yeah, total score involvement is a good number, but it's sort of, again, so many different ways to report on the one number. Uh, another one we use is percentage of scores that you're actually involved in uh, is a good one. So the number one in the competition for that is uh, Petrarca, who's actually been involved in 42% of Melbourne scoring chains this year. That's outrageous. Uh, That's really high. Who's number two? Is there a big gap? Like, is that an outrageous figure to be leading with? 38% is Michael Walters. Um, and second of Frio. Uh, and that's in the games he's played, so he's missed a few games, but 38% of the scoring changes. 7% more than the next best player, and Christian Petrarca is involved in almost half of Melbourne's scores. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it just goes to show how much he's improved and built that tank, Neil, over, over a few years. Difference yeah. between playing forward and mid as well, I'd assume, and probably been given the licence to attack. I don't know whether his defensive actions would be as good as someone like a Jack Viney, um, but yeah, it shows that he that he can just go forward and with reckless abandon almost. Yeah. One other question I've got around that is, uh, so if, if you're involved in a chain of play, obviously kick or a handball, you're getting a, a score involvement if, if you eventually score from it. But what about if you uh, slap a ball on or, you know, we've talked about Richmond doing a lot of that ball slapping on and that sort of stuff. Um, if that is directly involved in the play, and again, it's not broken up with a stoppage or 
uh, a turnover of any sort. Is that still counted as a score involvement? Yeah, so that's a contest, as we so, so spoken about on here before. So if it's out of a pack, it's a contested knock-on, uh, which is good as a contested possession. It's worth as much as a hardball getting the handball. It's like you grab it and pull it out. Um, and if it's just handball to you and instead of catching it, you knock it on, it's as good as a handball received. So, yeah, they all count ground kicks. Um, yeah, all, all of that will count. So, uh, yeah, as long as the opposition doesn't get the ball, there is no stoppage. So, again, another way you can uh, look at score involvement. So, again, looking at percentage of your team scores. But another favourite way of mine are looking at is percentage of your involvements that lead to a score. So, again, key forwards are going to be high in that. So, you know, the number one player for that that's played at least you know, more than four or five games is Sam Wiedemann. So when he's involved in a chain, Melbourne has scored 64% of the time. Mm. Uh, so again, doing a lot of his work close to goal. Uh, Josh Kennedy for West Coast is next at 63.1%. Uh, Tom Lynch for Richmond, Tom Hawkins. So again, always going to be key forwards and general forwards looking at that. But again, usually uh, one of my favourite times of year is when we're sort of deep diving into player numbers in prospectus riding time. <laughs> Um, and I love to look at other positions. So looking at a general defender or a key defender and looking at, okay, when you're involved in the chain, there's a, there's a little bit of luck and variable going forward of whether your team's eventually going to score 90 metres, 100 metres down the field. Uh, but looking at, yeah, which sort of players that are playing in the back line that are actually uh, contributing to their team score when they're getting a lot of the ball. So this year you've got guys that, you know, Jaron Geary's up there at 30% for St Kilda. He's still he's played nine games and probably... 40% of that's been as a forward. So his numbers are probably distorted uh, a little bit. But the guys that have been sort of playing across the back line, um, you know, they're still rated as general defenders. Guys like uh, Noah Answorth at Brisbane. So 23% of the time he's involved in a chain, Brisbane has scored. So you think of Daniel Rich, Alex Willardin, these key guys in Brisbane's back line. Mm. When you look at the numbers, Noah Answorth probably comes up with, yeah, he's only, he's involved in 10 and a half chains per game. So whether that's, again, whether he kicks in from a behind or gets it mid-chain score involvement. Uh, and 23% of the times Brisbane scores, which is pretty good for a guy that's probably getting, again, having got his exact numbers in front of me, but probably 75% of his ball in the defensive half. So again, uh, when you ask me about score involvement, Matt, so just a number I sort of love to look at because it can show you so much. And again, mm. in your game of football, we've banged on about it for the last two years. Ultimately, the you know most underrated stat in football is points on the scoreboard because that's what win games. So... Uh, again, you can look at as many possessions, disposals and things, but yeah, the main thing is, does it lead to a score eventually? And this is uh, one of my favourite numbers to look at to measure that. Question without notice then. Um, uh, goal assists and score involvements. I mean, how immediate before the actual goal does a, a, a possession or, or, or helpful act need to be for it to be a goal assist? Because like in ice hockey, for example, it's the two previous passes. So there'll always be a goal and two assists on the play. Like, is there a formula for goal assists as well in the AFL? Uh, so score assist, uh, um, a disposal that leads to either an uncontested possession, the teammate kicks a goal, or again, contested possession, that's like a contested mark one-on-one or a free kick that's been paid to, a, you clearly targeted that player. So if you kick to a pack, uh, Levi Casbolt takes a big three-on-three mark, you won't get a score assist for that, you'll get a score involvement. Uh, but again, what we've been measuring since 2002 is direct score assist that you've, you know, you've set up this guy scoring... Uh, chance uh, quite easily sort of thing. But again, looking at score involvement, so we, we break it all up. So they're not score assist as we know it. But again, we've got chain uh, score launches. So did you start the chain? We've got mid-chain uh, score involvement. So um, are you getting involved, you know, in the middle of the chain, whether that's the third possession of the chain or the fifth or the second or the ninth? 
Um, and then again, are you getting the score assist and are you getting the scoring shot? Um, so there's almost uh, four parts to a scoring chain, if you like, yeah. But be, being the, um, the launch, the mid-chain, the assist, if there is one, and then the scoring player. So it's, it's all accounted for and recorded for. So the third part of the question that we've got uh, from Daniel Maserati is, what is the highest ever recorded score involvements for a single score? Do you have a record that we can, we can say to the listeners? Yeah, that's a pretty popular match for records. Round 19, 2011, uh, Geelong uh, against Melbourne. I can't remember the score. Off the top. I believe that's got <laughs> 186 is the number that yes, was on the was, score. Yes, uh, a, a lot of demons and Geelong fans remember. But yeah, 27 for Stevie Johnson that day. So 27 scoring chains he was involved in. Um, which, the next most is 24, which is Brad Johnson, um, which was... Uh, the season for that was 2006. Uh, so a more recent one, 2018, uh, Jack Rewalt, round 21, 2018. He had 20 score involvements in a game. Uh, looked that up, I think they only had 30 scoring shots against Gold Coast. So 20 out of 30 is a, a pretty good day when, you know, you've been involved in so many of your team scoring chains. So uh, 27 is the record, Stevie J, and I think it might be a long time before we see that broken. Right. So, so that's an individual. But, like, what about... A team like what is has there, has there been like forty possessions before a score like what is the do you, do you know what the record yeah, is for like one score how many yeah, involvements no, yeah I could probably chase that for you next week we could work that out um, but yeah haven't looked at that as I said because yeah when I started to look at chain involvements I thought well we should all take a guess and see who's the closest <laughs> well, yeah, we, we do have a so um, one of the funny ones we got is graphical capture is all sort of colours for different possessions and we've got I think a transaction list of about. 20 of you know the most recent stats and sometimes you know the graphical capture operator point i go look my hand my screen's full of 20 handball receives or there's been 20 marks it's very very rare in about the last 10 15 years i reckon i've seen it about five times where there's been at least 20 marks in a row yeah uh, whether the teams ended up scoring from that's another story but now i'll definitely uh, see if i could trace that up for you as a bit of oh, so it wouldn't be like up to 40 or 50 i was going to sort of guess around I, like... I don't think so no that would okay. yeah, i don't think that we would have seen a chain that long so all right, well, maybe I'll go 27 then, Jake. I'll go 32. I reckon I'll, maybe it just feels like you see it a bit more. Surely there's been a, a few times where I've seen the ball chipped around in the back line for at least 90 seconds. One of those Richmond basketball crap games from uh, against Adelaide back in the day. <laughs> Joel Sweet, he asks, what is the stat that coaches and clubs most misunderstand or misuse? Yeah, so I don't... I, don't think there's any one misunderstood stat. I think, you know, we sort of spoke about last week, tackles. Every club might have a different definition of what they want to record for a tackle. Um, <coughs> sorry. In, term, in terms of misunderstood or misused, um, not too sure because it's so, there's so many, you know, different coaches and varying ways to look at the game. So, again, with Champion Data and our dealings with the club, they've, they've all got mainly analysts that sort of deal with us. Um, you know, we might get in front of the coaches once, uh, twice every year. Um, that's more of a presentation. They might have a few questions here and there, but they're, again, they're trying to look at the bigger, the bigger picture. They're probably not more concerned of, um, again, when you're talking of a single stat, their single definitions of what is a kick long, what is a tackle, what is a hard ball get, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so not too sure, but again, it, it is probably something in the last, you know, three to five years that will work really hard or continually worked across it since, you know, Champion Data has been around. But yeah, with so many more assistant and, you know, coaches, just having that open line with the analyst and any coach that wants to call us to ask us about a stat. So again, 
a lot of it will be more of the head start stuff we're using. So again, some, some of the stuff we haven't deep dive down into like repeat entry, uh, long down the line, switches. Again, you think of the term switch and everyone uses it so freely, but then we have to define a number for all right, how successful are you at switching? It's like, well, what is a switch? How do we record exactly what's a switch and what's not a switch and blah, blah. So um, again, there's probably, yeah, I could almost answer probably every, every stat could be misused or misunderstood, but um, hopefully we get enough, you know, uh, definitions and, um, you know, communication with the clubs that they know exactly what they're looking at and how they want to use it because they, they exactly the way that stats name, they might have a different way of sort of that term of how they use that internally. So coaches would hope that their analysts are listening when you have these sort of meetings and, and discussions with them because they're the one that's going to uh, relay the information from you to them. Correct. Yeah. So exactly. And, that, and the big thing we sort of talk about with the use of stats, and yes, we cover a lot for a coach to use it well, they need to have their game plan and use the number that supports their game plan. They might come across a number that they, you know, weren't actually actively measuring that might, you know, help them, but they should focus on, you know, the key numbers. So again, knowing that your game plan and the key number that you're using actually stacks up with going, all right, we are at 80% because I can see it by I were at 80%, you know, hopefully hoping that we haven't got a different definition. Uh, again, working with clubs that, you know, they might have a different different way of measuring. So again, then we add another layer onto that stat to hopefully so every club can, you know, delete a column or take away something that they don't want to count, you know, things being end of quarters, do you want them counted or not? Is mm. part of your chain. Do you want that chain that when the siren went, is that a successful chain? Is that a, chain you want to throw out or is that a chain you want to count everyone has a slightly different definition um so again it goes down into that detail working with clubs to make sure serving up enough information that everyone can get what they need out of it excellent joel hopefully that's answered your question uh please keep them coming those questions use the hashtag ask champion data on twitter and uh each week we'll try and get a couple of those to christian and hopefully we can do a deep dive on on some of the uh more interesting stats that we might not have covered yet in the podcast uh we'll move on guys we're sort of well like i said we got six weeks to go so the, the season's basically it's two-thirds done now uh and i want to play a game called buy and sell where i don't know i want to know whose stocks you're buying heading into the back half or the back third of the year and finals and whose stocks you're selling um neil i might throw this to you first if you had to buy a stock in a player now who are you buying yeah, I'm buying uh, Jack Lacocious, and it's not recency bias because he played last night, but he was... <laughs> our favourite team, isn't it? Incredible. It is a bit. Um, the number two draft of 2018, so obviously hugely talented. Um, he's, a, he's a tall key position player that has taken... He's a bit of a slow burn compared to your Sam Walsh's and Bailey Smith's um, and Connor Rosie's from that incredible draft, but he's finding his feet as a, almost a third defender in a quarterback style. Um, player for the Suns last night, 27 disposals, seven marks, nine intercepts, and 836 metres gained, which I don't know off the top of your head, Christian, but 836 metres gained in a game has got to be up in the top top 5% of, of games ever. That's he, he was just everywhere last night. Top five this year, but yeah, it's, there's been a couple of games over a thousand, the longer version of the game, but yeah, it's definitely up there this year. Yeah, if you scale yeah, it up, that's a, it's an, impressive, it's an impressive number for sure. And he just doesn't miss a, miss a target with his, with his off either foot. So there's a lot of hype about the Suns. Um, they're dropping off a little bit. But if I'm buying an individual, um, I'm, I'm getting, getting on his bandwagon. Are you he keeping him in defence? He had a his... shot last night from, I think he got a, ha- a handball received from about 60. And just, he doesn't look like he kicks the ball that hard. But 
man that just travels. I think he did the post, but he yeah, he just flushes it every time he kicks it. Um, speaking of shots on goal, Neil, are you comfortable with him in defence or would you eventually move him forward where he was so highly touted? Yeah, it's a really tough one. Um, and it's probably not a... I probably don't have enough insight into their game plan and their personnel. They're, they're building the forward line around um, Ben King up there. Uh, and and Lukosius is really performing well as in the defen- you know, the defensive 50s. So I wouldn't mess with, with what they're doing. I mean, who knows what's going to happen in three, five, seven years, he might end up mm-hmm. being um, uh, a forward. But, Jesus, it's working at the moment. I wouldn't be mixing with it, uh, messing with that mix. No, I agree. I think his, his ball use out of the back half is, is too valuable. And it's, it's hard to find players that can consistently hit targets, uh, moving targets, mm-hmm. targets on the 45-degree angle and, and all that. And he ticks all those boxes. So, I, I think, yeah, while you've got um, Sam Collins as the big defender down there and you've got some competent forwards, Bloody oath, you leave him there. Uh, let's go through the rest of the buyers before we go through the sells. Jake, are you buying stock in anyone in particular? Well, just following on from uh, Neil talking about uh, Jack Lukosius, I think the AFL is in a really good spot when it comes to key position, young key position players, particularly key forwards. Um, obviously, Lukosius has potential to play there. The King brothers, uh, Norton had another spectacular game, uh, Harry Mackay. But the one I'm really interested in is uh, Sam Wiedemann. You know, he's still only 23 and he's, he's copped a lot of you know, criticism here and there over his short career. But you know, he's averaging two goals a game this year in, in the shortened games. There's nothing to, to scoff at. But what I've been really impressed with with Wiedemann is, again, not a, not a massive guy, but his body use and positioning is really impressive. I watched him the last couple of weeks and he gets himself in really good spots and he uses his body really well for his size to take good marks. The previous week, uh, he missed a few pretty routine shots he'd want to be kicking. But I think he can improve on that. Um, and I think Melbourne now has a really strong key four that they can they can look to build. Uh, and I think he can be a really good player for the next eight years. Neil, you're a Melbourne supporter. What have you thought of Wiedemann's 2020 after, as Jake said, sort of a slow burn leading up to it? Yeah, he's really taken his opportunity with with both hands, pardon the pun, as a, as a marking key forward. Um, the fact that he wasn't selected for the first uh, three or four games, and I think Melbourne... I think it was about the first five, five weeks. Yeah, really made him earn it. And with no VFL footy to play, he, he must have just been really working hard on his craft um, at training and in match simulation. But I've been really, really, really impressed with, the, like you, Jake, the way he's been performing. But on a broader team level, what he brings is the, the smaller crumbing forwards into the game as well. Yeah. So without that, that strong go-to target, the, the, the crummers don't know where to, to run to to be front and centre. So he makes the team better in so many different ways. He's played uh-huh. seven games this year and he's kicked multiple goals in, in six. Uh, don't know how many, how many players have managed to do that um, you know, in, in such a high percentage of the games that they've played. So uh, he's, he's been really impressive this year, I think. I haven't got a chart in front of me, but just having watched him over the last few weeks, he seems to get to good positions too. He's kicking a lot of his goals from sort of the corridor or, or slight angle from it. So he's, he's not like he's putting himself in positions where it's hard to kick goals. Um, and he's starting to put a bit of muscle on and, and take those sort of more contested grabs and, and in good spots. So, you know, when you do the basics right, uh, you get rewarded. And, and as you said, 14 goals from seven games is a good return so far. Uh, Christian, who are you buying? Uh, my one, I'm jumping on a bit early, but Jack Vitale, uh, as St Kilda, he's only played just his second game on the weekend. Uh, but again, from that 2018 draft, I think he was pick 41. Um, 
as a 16 year old, he was as good as so from that draft again. You talk about you know Rankin, Lacocious. There was Bailey Smith, um, a few other guys that he played with Vic Metro as, as a 16 year old, and he outplayed all of them uh, as a 17 year old as well in the NAB League uh, in his first year. Uh, unfortunately, in his draft year, he's I think he still played half the season. But he had a lot of back issues and he missed all of last year, uh, his first year at St Kilda, with I think a bulging disc in the end. Uh, I've just watched in the last two weeks. Again, he hasn't set the world on fire like Isaac Rankin and Matt Rowell have and uh, some of the other debutants this year. But uh, just been put in the centre square for St Kilda. He just looks like one of those steady heads that, again, there's, there's certain players I look at. Um, Jared Berry was one for Brisbane early days. I looked at and I said, this guy's going to play 200 games. Um, just looks like a really solid footballer. So, uh, yeah, he'd be someone I'm, I'm going to be watching in, uh, in the future with great interest. For sure. Uh, I'm purchasing stock in Luke Davies Uniac, I think. Number four pick from the 2017 draft. There's been a few slow starters from that draft. I know Cameron Rayner took a bit of time to get going, Paddy Dow, um, a few others. And, and then you, you see, see others like Aaron Norton or, or Nick Caulfield and Hunter Clark from the Saints or Brayshaw and Chera from the Dockers. But Luke Davies Uniac, is, uh, he's put it together a, a solid block of four games this year uh, in recent weeks and has looked really, really good. He's, he's quite an explosive bloke for, I think he's about 190 centimetres, 6'3"-ish, um, and just has a real bit of toe about him. And he's building a bit of consistency now and, and will get more opportunities uh, at North, I think, as they, well, I don't know if they're going to go through a rebuild or, or what have you, but I can see him getting a lot more midfield time. And he's got the traits of being a, a really, really important player for North. And I think he's just about to start uh, exploding onto the scene. Uh, if we're looking, he's got a pretty good sidekick, Matt, with um, one of his teammates, Jai Simpkin, another young young player, given midfield time this this year. Both of them, they could be a great one-two combination for you know ten years. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, like I said, it's taken a while for for Davies Uniac to force his way into the side and, and get a bit of a bit of a run on, but um, he's played four games in a row this year for for North, and he's he's looked pretty more than capable of having a spot in that midfield for for years to come. Um, if we had to go the other way uh, and unfortunately sell stock in some players or coaches, Neil, I've, I've sort of maybe I've addressed yours a bit, <laughs> a bit early there, but if you had to sell stock, who are you selling stock in? Yeah, I'm, I'm selling stock um, in Leon Cameron. And, it, and it's a tricky one because by all accounts, they've agreed to terms on um, him continuing on for the next year, at least possibly more. Um, the contract isn't signed, but it's all been agreed upon. But, I just wonder with them slipping out of the eight, with them possibly not not playing finals um, this year after getting you know one game away from a premiership last year, whether they would be liking to to revisit that. Um, they've just got so much talent across the field, and any other coach should be salivating on you know taking I, over I'm that. I'm kind of sick of hearing this. This I, yeah, I'm sick of hearing this. For, for eight years, I've heard how much talent they've got. Do they really have that much talent? More than more well, than. A lot of if you're looking at first round talent, yeah, they've got. They've I mean, got they made so the grand final last year. It's not like they've been a bottom four side for eight years. They made the grand final, no, but they're very inconsistent. But, but for every player that they lose in the trade table, they get another first rounder back. So they've just they have year after year of having two first rounders, which any other club would dream of. So that if that's your definition of talent, someone in the first round, they've got stacks, and they're underachieving. He can't mould them together at the moment. Mm. Jake, what do you think? Uh, about the Giants, they're pretty yeah. rubbish at the moment. <laughs> um, I, I think, uh, I know Toby Green's missed a few games, but man, they, they are a very different side when, when he's not playing. I, I, don't, I don't know if there's a player that 
and I mean, whether you want to call it most valuable, but he makes them such a better side. And I don't know if there's another player like that. Maybe maybe Martin. I think Richmond and Richmond are a lot more dangerous when Martin's in the team. But uh, the Giants, yeah, they they don't look anywhere near as good when Toby Green's not playing because he. He brings, it's the attitude he brings. It's what he can do in the forward line, just create goals out of nothing. And he can go into the midfield as well and get and win the ball. I mean, he's just such a unique player. And he, he almost brings them all, to, brings them together. He's the gel that brings that whole team together. But yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think that they certainly don't play that well as a team. And, and look at the mm. game against Sydney. It was a disgraceful performance. But I think I'm just kind of over the, over the oh, they've got all this talent. It's like, yeah, I think there's a lot of teams that have... I would argue that West Coast has more talented players than GWS right now. Well, it depends on your definition of, of performed talent versus potential talent, right? So you look at the Giants and you see they've got multiple early first-round picks playing, you know, not getting selected in the 22, which makes mm. you think, geez, they're just bulging at the seams mm. with how many good young players they've got. But you're right. They, it's And I'm putting a lot of um, heat on Liam Cameron here, but the club isn't somehow getting that talent to perform as a team. So, especially when you compare it against, you know, a team yeah. across town like the, the Swans, who are absolutely decimated and don't have, you know, endless first rounders on their list. And they, they, they get absolutely embarrassed on the weekend. We talked, we talked a few weeks ago about, um, despite being contracted, uh, the future of Simon Goodwin being under threat. I mean, is Leon Cameron's job under threat if they don't make finals, Neil? Well, as I said before, I think, I think he's agreed to terms and it's either waiting to be lodged or oh. it's basically a handshake agreement. So I think culturally that would be a really difficult thing to do mm. to, to sort of flip on that. But, geez, if he wasn't, if, if that agreement wasn't in place, I tell you, that they'd, they'd be looking seriously at, at doing something else, I think. Interesting. Jake? Well, well uh, he, should be, he should be just about the... I mean, given everything, and we know they made the grand final last year, we know, you know that they should be thereabouts this year again. Um, if they don't make finals, I mean, even even where they are right as of today, he should just about be the most under pressure coach in the whole league right now. Yeah. That might be a, a topic for our roundtable column that comes out later today, Jake. Good idea. Who stock are you selling at this point of the year? Well, I think you'll be pleased to hear that I'm admitting uh, that I made a mistake about... Wait, wait, hold on. Let me record this on my phone. <laughs> about a year and a half ago, I reckon it was. Um, <laughs> But, look, I still think this player has enormous talent, um, but I'm just not convinced that we're going to be able to see it regularly. And that's Jordan Degoe. Um, Probably 12, yeah, a bit over 12 months ago, I said that he was, you know, he had joined the top three or four players um, in the competition. Uh, and I certainly think that on his day, I mean, look, the last, last game he played, he, he played against Geelong, kicked five goals and was the best on ground. So we know he can do that and we know he's got that ability. But we just don't see it anywhere near as uh, regular as, I mean, all Collingwood fans would like. Obviously, he's injured at the moment and probably not coming back for the rest of the home and away season. Um, but I think he's just so, he's young and he's still got so much value that I think clubs that are looking for someone that can be dangerous dangerous small to medium-sized forward, but also has the ability to go into the midfield because we've just spoken about Toby Green and you know Dustin Martin and those type of players that can uh, share their time between forward and midfield, how valuable they are. So I think he has a lot of value. Um, and I think there's not too many clubs that wouldn't want Jordan to go in the side. But I just think that I am not 
sold that we're going to be able to see his best on a consistent basis. And that's fine. You can you can sell stock in players that we think were well up here uh, and then might not be as high, and, and that's fine. You're still getting a good return on your money. It still so, doesn't change what I is my opinion of. I still think he, he at his best, he's he's a great player, but. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's just about getting that best on a more consistent basis, which probably not going to so, happen. And, and look, it's difficult as a uh, playing that position as a as a as a half half forward, if you want to call it, small medium forward. It's one of the it's one of the hardest positions in on the ground to be consistent at. Um, so I'm not saying it's not like you're going to be getting three or four goals out of him every week. It's not going to happen. No one does that. Um, but yeah, the injuries and and again, just just probably the last year. Or so, just hasn't been as as great in front of goal. I remember the the 2018 Grand Final. He I think kicked three brilliant goals in that game, mm. but he just hasn't been as clean around goal, missing a lot of chances that you'd think he'd he'd just take. And yeah, just not looking like that. The instincts that uh, it's not quite as um, just not quite there anymore. So yeah, well, I reckon I, I might. Yeah, I don't doubt he'll get it back, but probably right now I, I wouldn't be buying too much, and I'd probably be selling my the goey stock. You can buy later uh, when he when he bottoms out a bit. Um, <laughs> Christian, dig the boots into the crows a bit more for us. <laughs> nah, well, yeah, my I, again, um, my sales probably a bit more because of, it's topical and it's in the media. Brad Crouch, um, everyone's sort of saying, you know, should they let him go? I'm not sure that, what's he worth. I think he is worth a lot to another club, but again, Adelaide just—they they just need to do something. I don't see a lot of uh, tradable commodities on that list. They're going to get a lot for. Um, I find it free agency interesting the way the AFL do it. It's almost you, you, you're trading with the AFL, so maybe they should engage with the trade with the AFL and see what they do get. And they might be able to get two in return for uh, Brad Crouch signing elsewhere. Uh, but yeah, again, with Adelaide, just the time's come. I think they need to make a lot of changes and they need to. Uh, Sort of um, change sell, up. sell the whole team, <laughs> yeah, but I think yeah, it starts in the midfield. And again, whether you, you can maybe get another midfielder from another team in a straight swap, or yeah, go for high end talent from the draft. Question without notice, Christian: Which clubs do you reckon would would benefit from going after Crouch as a free agent? Um, Carlton, yeah, I don't know. obviously, I don't, I, I don't see any that wouldn't. Um, maybe a little bit going back to our discussion last week of Hawthorne, maybe you know, maybe wouldn't want to bring in another. Sort of mid middle aged mid, mid, midfielder, um, one paced midfielder, yeah. But again, where, where again, where wouldn't he fit? Um, there's not a lot. Again, just I just think Adelaide looking internally uh, for the Crows, they just need to change their midfield dynamic. Um, and again, if he's you know you're going to have to re-sign him for um, a fair bit amount of money, again you'd be probably looking to sell him and see what you can get in return and. Um, again, you still got Matt Crouch, Rory Sloan. You still got a basis, you know, the guys that you did have there. But again, they just need to bring either either high end talent or some some other talent from another club in to sort of change that mix. Two is a, a fair lure if they're gonna if that's the secret herbs and spices for the compensation pick. If it ends up being picked two after their their wooden spoon pick, then that make, makes complete sense. Yes, and we're going to talk about the Crows a little bit later. Uh, but just before we do, I'm selling, and Neil, I know he's one of your your favourites, but uh, I think it's time to sell the stock in Buddy. I think he's got a couple of years left on that massive contract. Uh, 2024 it ends. So, um, but we just, I just don't think we're going to see the best of Buddy again. Uh, and unfortunately, despite what the Swans said pre-season about him being the best Nick he's ever been in, uh, injuries cut him down again, and, and the Swans need to look to the future now. And, and they are looking to the future. They've got 
um, some really good young kids, and especially in that forward line, there's some there's some players down there, McCartan, um, Blakey, that just need to get time. And and if they're not going to be, if Buddy comes back and he's getting 40% of all entries put at him, they, these kids aren't going to be able to develop. And I think it's important now that the Swans look to the future, uh, and it's time to sell a bit of stock in Buddy. Will Buddy will Buddy get to the thousand mark? We asked this. We asked this last year. We asked this last year in one of our, it might have been the round table column, right. and we thought he might, but gee whiz, I tell you well, what. Well, we didn't, we didn't account for um, the shortened coronavirus here and the fact that he would barely play. Has he, how many, has, has he played a game this he year? He hasn't played this game. Again, he hasn't so, he played round yeah. one. Did he play round one? Oh, well, yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago. <laughs> a lifetime ago. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, he's lost another year. Um, yeah. He's not going to get... Yes. How many more has he got to get? 60, I think? 60 yeah. or 70? Something like that. He's on so 60. He's probably, uh, yeah. Could he be useful that in a, I don't reckon. It's, it's, I don't see the such short-term value. I mean, what where's about a he going to go? A homecoming to, to Hawthorne for a year. Nah, because, oh, wouldn't that be juicy? Wouldn't that be juicy? Because <laughs> you know what? They could, use a, they could use a buddy sort of type. For what? To go, what the to, go from, for him too. to go from 15th to 12th. <laughs> hey, if it means the fairy tale, uh, look, you know, if the Cats don't win the flag this year, has Gary Ablett been worth it? I mean... So, so, Hawthorne, so Hawthorne get rid of all of their champions, but they'll bring the buddy back. <laughs> bring the buddy I don't, back. I don't see that happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fair enough. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, our favourite segment, Justified Hype or Hyperbole. I'll put a few statements to you fellas and you can tell me whether I'm talking in hyperbole or if the hype is justified. Neil, the Crows deserve a priority pick this year. It sounds crazy to say no to a club that's probably or possibly going to go winless, but I don't think they deserve one now. I think, I think the AFL has shown that the, the priority pick for a one-off bad season is pretty much gone. It needs to be three or four really poor years in a row. And the last, the last three years for the Crows before this year, they finished 11th, 12th and 2nd. So I don't think they can get a priority pick for that. And probably on top of that, a lot of their decisions on and off the field, I mean, they've made their own bed, haven't they? So, 100%. Um, I, yeah, I think that no, but you know, maybe if they go winless this year and win two games next year, then the AFL might look at it. But as it stands, no, nah, they've just got to roll up their sleeves. I think that's a logical argument. Uh, Jake, on a similar vein, the Crows won't win a game this season. I'm sticking yeah, to my guns. I'm saying, I'm saying no. I think I had a look at their uh, fixture. I think they play Hawthorne at the Adelaide Oval. That's definitely winnable, especially no Sicily now. Um, that's probably their best chance of a win. I think that's in three weeks or two weeks. So if they don't win that, I don't think they're winning one. That's the, that's probably the only one I really think that they're um, you know genuine chance in. But I'm going to say no still. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, I might ask this one to myself because I've been hot on them all, all year. Uh, the Cats <laughs> yeah. will finally go all the way. And we're starting to see the Geelong machine is, is rolling really well. Hawkins is hitting his straps. Menegol is in all Australian calculations. Cam Guthrie is, is in, in the running for the best and fairest, surely. Um, maybe the Cats have finally got, got the, the mix right. And, and if they can consistently perform for three or four weeks in finals, geez, maybe they can get that, that flag and, and Ablett if he can return to the team, can get that homecoming that uh, would make it perfect. I hate yeah. to um, I hate to to pump you up after you've just pumped yourself up, Matt. But <laughs> you have been one of the few people that have been pretty hot on them from the start of the year. I think most people assume that they'd you know be on the fringes of the eight. Certainly not you know a premiership chance. Um, so 
Kudos to you. And what's impressed me most is their defence as well. I think they're the number one defensive team in the league yeah. and they look like they're really well organised and really hard to break through, um, even on the counter-attack. So, you know, defence wins a lot of premierships if you're mm. in the top couple of um, defensive teams. So maybe, maybe the Cats can go all the way. Well, Jake, um, we talked about it last year uh, a fair bit in the office, just about how the Cats' bottom six, the, as in the last six selected each week, were kind of letting them down and stopping them from becoming one of those great teams. But, I mean, I think, like I said, Guthrie, he was one of those players that I named back then. And, and now he's having a, a season where he may even be in all-Australian contention. And he's just, as Chris yeah, has said, being... Stiff, uh, a bit stiff for Cam Guthrie to have been in their bottom six last year. I don't know. wouldn't have gone that far. Maybe it was two years ago. But oh, there, was, there, was, there was some time where we... No, just, I know what you mean, though, yeah. And, and to what Neil said, I mean, you look at players like Jed Buse and Jack Henry, and they're just playing their role so beautifully. So if they can come together at the, the end of the year and finally get past the prelim and maybe yeah. just make the big dance, they could go all the way, and I'll, I'll back them in. Why not? Well, the, well there was such a gap between that top six and yeah and I guess the bottom yeah. six and, and that sort of was was the issue but mm. um well yeah I mean with the form Tomahawk's in at the moment yeah. gee and considering a lot of their players are th- uh, you know the, the good player like the, the hot players are 30 plus these shortened quarters must be must be good for them as well um going the other way either of you or maybe even Christian we might ask this one get him involved again uh the Pies injuries will cost them a finals berth has there been anything in the stats that have suggested the Pies are, are not good enough to make finals Christian well, no, but I was, I mean, the stats, yeah, the last three or four weeks haven't dropped away from being a finals team. So, yeah, I think they're still scraping the finals. But again, I've been, been big on Collingwood for the last, you know, year and a half that it's all about defence with them, stopping the opposition scoring. They were so miserly that just no one could get through. They were so well set up. They had exciting players. They could, you know, burst and, you know, score goals. Stevenson, Elliott, Trelaw. Uh, you know, even side bottom gets forward and can kick some exciting goals. So, and again, this year we saw it, um, you know, the first seven or eight rounds, the, the unbelievable amount of scoring they did in the first 20 minutes of quarters. Mm. Um, you know, I don't think that was a game plan thing. That was just how Collingwood play. They're very, they're very good at getting on the burst and then for the rest of the 90 minutes, just shutting the game down. It just shows you that team system, a few injuries, because sort of talking to the guys from the office this morning, not a lot of their injuries have been to their back six. So they lost Ruffhead, I think, only recently. Um, and Jeremy Howe has probably been a big one. The rest of their big injuries have been through their midfield and forward line, which is going to kill any team. But again, it just hurts Collingwood so much because they're all part of their successful defensive setup, all their forwards, all their midfielders that, you know, can get 30, but Trelaw can also work hard the other way and he can help, you know, free up Adams at the stoppage and, uh, things like that. So again, with Collingwood, they were probably, you know, the complete opposite to what we just talked about with GWS 10, 15 minutes ago. They, they didn't rely purely on talent. It was a lot to do with team system with Collingwood, um, even though they were probably, that was probably an underrated part of their game. But these injuries now, yeah, they're getting, they're getting scored, uh, scored quite easily against in the last two or three weeks. And yeah, the whole system sort of looks a bit shaky at the moment. Mm, I might throw Talking that over. About... Yeah, go on. Sorry, in. I was going to say, very, very quickly, talking about selling stock, I'd be selling stock in the Collingwood fitness team. They, they always seem to have a really long injury list the last three or four years. So, yeah. Remember you know, when they did I'm, tests on, their luck, home, but... on, the, on the training ground because they thought it was too hard? Like they were, they yeah. were convinced that the soft tissue injuries coming out of that club was because of the ground they were training on. They've, they've had a Something's horror run. Not right. And, and I mean, it's got to be more than coincidence now if they've had three or four years you know, of really struggling with that injury list. Alrighty, last uh, statements. Jake. Jack Nunes' kick uh, was the best after the siren winner since Blighty. Is that hype justified? 
This is another thing that annoys me, why it always has to be since Blighty. Am I the only one that thinks Malcolm Blight's kick was just a little bit overrated? It was not a 90-metre kick. It was not 90 metres. Go and watch it. It's 60 at best. It was Come a on, good 60 at best? Come went through Jake. the top of the post. It went yeah. to the second yeah. row of the grandstand. Go, go and watch it. After the goal, it kept going yeah. past the line. You it went goalpost height. Yeah, but the goal yes. po- the goal post was like a third of what they are now. Go and go and watch it again. I, I watched it yesterday on YouTube, and I'm oh. like, yeah, it's obviously a good kick, but I'm shutting this down. Yeah. We got to end this. That's one of those classic things that people just exaggerate how far. I, it wasn't ninety. It was ninety. It meters. was huge. Like, nah, it had to be seventy five. It was oh. maybe sixty five, but in terms of in terms of Nunes' kick, ah, uh, yeah, I mean it's it's pretty good. I think. In, put it this way, we were talking about Robbie Gray's kick a month ago saying that it was, again, maybe it was the best since Blight's kick. And I think this one is twice as good as what Robbie Gray's yeah. was. How can we take you seriously after you've just said that, though? It's like shooting a Bambi, though. You don't, you don't take me serious anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> Neil, a uh, quicker opinion on that? Uh, I think one word answer, yes. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think so. I think Blight... Nunes, uh, Ash McGrath, and then maybe Robbie Gray. Or Ash know. McGrath's kick wasn't great. It was more the build-up. Well, I mean, so the seven seconds that the, that the Lions had to, to get there and after the well, siren. Well, that's the, the thing. Kick. That's the thing. How are, we, how are you judging? Is it yeah, no, nah, fair enough. Is it the no. kick or is it the circumstances? No, I mean, maybe it's a bit high. I mean, Jack Jones, like you said, you could make a buddy documentary on it, the bizarre uh, circumstances leading up to that. But let's leave it there for this week um, before people start angrily yelling at their... Their phones or computers or however you listen to this podcast. Make sure you get your tips in. You've got a few days to do so. Um, so make sure you get your tips in on the Footy Tips app and we will speak to you all in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.